Well, if you've um, listened to the radio or television, picked up a newspaper or checked any uh, news via social media, everyone in here is aware that uh, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, the, the Louisville Lip, uh, passed away this weekend. I mean, the story's been everywhere. And uh, I got to thinking that, you know, two weeks ago, I used him as an illustration of someone who mastered the art before most people knew it was an art of self-promotion. And that's how he got the name, the, the Louisville Lip, someone who knew how to brag on himself to advance his career and make money, and he was great at self-promotion. But since his passing in Arizona, accolades have poured in from all over the world, from people of all walks of life, uh, just saying good things and positive things about Muhammad Ali. George Foreman, remember the former heavyweight champion of the world, maybe better known for, what was that? What's, what's that grill? What is it? The George Foreman grill? Okay, you got it. <laughs> I own one. I use it. Uh, it listen, George Foreman said, you don't want to live in a world without Muhammad Ali. Now that's a little over the top when you really think about it. But I think we all understand what he's trying to say. President Obama released a long statement. Part of it was Muhammad Ali shook up the world. You know, take off on his uh, speech after he knocked out Sonny Liston back in the 60s. I shook up the world and the world is better for it. And we're all better for it. In this sermon series, people Jesus bragged on. One of the things we're discovering is that Jesus bragged on people that the world probably never would brag on. Jesus looked for qualities in people that the world doesn't value enough. And when you and I observe those that he said are doing it well, are good examples for us, we can learn some lessons that that have eternal worth, eternal value for us as followers of Christ. And so we've been looking at people Jesus bragged on the last few weeks, and today looking at at a woman that, that... her story is, is well known, but yet it's, it's just a, a brief, a brief story. So I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Th- this, this was a woman who was, didn't have much. Her life was hard, but she put her trust in God. And she showed it by an extreme example of generosity. So Mark, chapter 12, stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together, beginning at verse 41. Mark 12 Verse 41, standing as we read together. And again, I'm reading from the New American Standard translation. And he, that's, that's Jesus. And so Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. The temple in Jerusalem was a massive complex equal to the size of about 20 football fields. So when you see diagrams of that ancient temple, you really don't get the magnitude of its of its size and opulence just imagine 20 football fields and the largest courtyard the area outside the temple building per se was the court of the gentiles where anyone could go and then there was this enclosed area where you would make your way into the temple proper and and that first area kind of like a a covered portico was the court of women and beyond that was the court of israel where jewish men could go And just beyond that, the court of the priest where they would do the sacrifices and so on. And so the Gentiles could go into the outer one. Men and women could go to the court of women. But women could not go beyond that. Men would pass through that into the court of Israel, the court of men. 
and the priest beyond that into the temple precinct per se. And it's in this court of women where Jesus is sitting. So any Jew could have been there. And so he's sitting there in the treasury, and along the walls were these 12 containers, large containers that people would place their offering in. One offering was for the, the temple ministry, the building and the ministries, the sacrifices. And it was, think of it as a tax. Everybody was required to pay it. And the others were for different free will offerings, if you will, whether it was to help the poor or whatever it was. You, you chose what you wanted to do in those. And they had large openings in the shape of trumpets. So there were 12. They looked like trumpets on top. They just opened up wide at the very top. And so Jesus is sitting there, and, and that's the treasury, looking at where these 12 containers that people put their offering in are, are located. I imagine he's sitting with his back against the wall just, just watching. You ever sat and just watched people? That's, that's what Jesus is doing. And so he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how, how the people were putting money into the treasury, into those containers. And many rich people were putting in large sums. In the Greek, it's literally many pieces, many, many coins. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, the, the smallest, the least valuable coin that was in circulation. Think of it like our penny, for comparison's sake which amounts to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions, all the contributors, she put in more than everyone else to the treasury. For they all put, put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. It's, it's the idea that all she had for that day all she had for that day is what she put in. Father, speak to us, not just about money, but about life and about you, about ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, I want you to try to imagine the setting and imagine this woman. Life was not easy for her. She was poor. Jesus tells us that. She didn't have much. Life was a struggle like it was for many people. Then poverty was, was more common than you might imagine. She was a widow. Now don't run over that too quickly. She had lost her husband. And in her culture, unless you inherited a lot of money, she was really dependent on others. There wasn't a lot she could do to take care of herself. Not in their culture, not in their society. And so I could just picture this woman being someone who not only faced the financial challenges of her life, but loneliness and emptiness. There are men and women in this church who've lost their, their spouse. They can, they can relate to what she must have felt. Because life is different when that happens. And all, all the emotions that you can imagine people have when they lose their spouse, she, she had those. And when she gave those two coins, all she had, it's, it was basically what she had to live on that day. And like people today who are elderly sometimes or those who are poor or less educated at times, vulnerable to 
charlatans. They existed then just as they exist today. I mean, we hear all the time stories of elderly people who are taken advantage of by various schemes over the telephone or through the mail, correct? Some of us, myself included, know elderly people who've lost lots of money because uh, they didn't know how to check things out and they were taken advantage of. It happens all the time, doesn't it? People are really good at deceiving people. I um, heard about an elderly person in a nursing home who received a, a letter from one of the televangelists asking her to give $200 and telling her if she didn't have it to borrow it from someone so she could give it. Same thing happened in ancient times. It's not new. The world's always been a place where the majority of people look out for themselves even at the expense of others, correct? And sometimes do it even in the name of religion. Now here's the backdrop for her story. Jesus had recently arrived in Jerusalem for the last time. And he's in the temple area teaching and answering questions. And and by the way, it's interesting, this is Jesus' last visit to the temple. In his very last visit to the temple, this is the woman he holds up as a model, as an example. Crowds have gathered, they're listening to him, he's popular, but the religious leaders are jealous of him. Jealous of his popularity and want to get rid of him. And to do that, groups, religious groups that normally do not cooperate, that sometimes don't even like each other, let alone agree with each other, work together to trap Jesus, work together to make him unpopular, work together to get rid of him. They ask him a series of of controversial questions. I mean, if a reporter wants to make a politician or some other community leader look bad, what do they do? They ask a controversial question. Because no matter what you say, you're going to alienate someone. That's what's going on in the backdrop of this story. In fact, just just turn a page back in your Bible to chapter 11 of Mark. And you'll get a sense of the setting and it'll help this story come alive even more. Chapter 11, verse 27, they came again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. Notice this, the chief priests, scribes, and elders came to him. And they, there's a series of questions and dialogue with them and Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. The, the priests are the ones who you know, led the, the worship and the sacrifices and so on at the temple. The scribes, sometimes it's referred to as lawyers. These were scholars in the Old Testament. And they thought of themselves as people who knew more about the Old Testament than anyone, and they were authority figures. And if you really wanted to know what what the Old Testament said and what you're supposed to do, you go to a scribe. And the elders, the older ones, the respected ones, the leaders, they could have been priests, they could have been scribes, they could have been Pharisees, but they were the the respected class, the older. They gained that not just through age but through wisdom. They were were viewed as leaders, elder statesmen. And going to verse 13. And then they sent. These groups weren't able to successfully get Jesus in trouble. And so they sent another group. They sent the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in verse 13 of chapter 12. The Herodians were more of a, a political group. 
that supported Rome did not want Israel to rebel against Rome. The Pharisees were the most conservative, fundamentalist, strict religious group in Israel. Very, very legalistic, a big list of do's and don'ts. Very harsh on people. And then they have a conversation with Jesus, ask him a question about taxes and so on. And then you drop down to verse 18, some Sadducees, a different religious group than all the others. And here's the thing, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like one another. But all these groups are coming together around a common enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. (laughs) You get the picture? And, and they're, they're asking Jesus these hard questions, controversial questions, trying to get him to say something that will, will make him unpopular. I mean, in, in politics, a candidate can, can misspeak one time and their candidacy is over, correct? In our culture, social media, you're done. Well, it was true then as well. And so Jesus spends time interacting with these different groups. Now drop down in in, in chapter 12, just before the story about the widow in the temple. Jesus has a large crowd at the end of verse 37 in chapter 12. And then notice what he said in verses 38 and following. In his teaching, he was saying, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and, and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Do you get the picture? And, the, and chief seats in the synagogue, and places of honor at banquets. And notice the first part of verse 40. What does it say? Very important. What does it say, the first part of verse 40? What do they do? They devour widows' houses. How? I don't know. We're not told. Maybe they use their prestige and their intellect and their skills to manipulate to take advantage of these vulnerable widows people do it today don't they maybe that's what they did i don't know but in some measure some way they were taking advantage of these underprivileged widows for their own benefit and then he says and for appearance sake they they offer long prayers and these will receive the greater condemnation so The essence of this story, when you contrast that now with Jesus is in the temple. Think about this. He's in the temple watching people put their offering in. And it's all against the backdrop of what had just happened with the religious leaders who were taking advantage of people for their personal benefit rather than a genuine devotion to God and helping people know God and grow in God and serve God. That's the backdrop. And so hers is really a story. When you, when you, when you look at this, it's, it's a story of, of self-sacrifice compared to self-advancement. It's, it's a story of sincerity compared to hypocrisy. It's, it's a story of faith and trust in God compared to the mindset that says, I'll take care of myself. And there are some lessons, valuable lessons for all of us in this story. 
And here's, let me just, let me just give you some, not in any particular order, okay? First lesson for us. Giving is supposed to express what's in your heart. It's supposed to express what is in your heart. For her, for this widow, given her circumstances, it was expressing her love for God. That's what you do when you love someone, right? How many of you grandparents have been walking through Walmart or some other store and you saw something and it just got your attention? You said, I'm getting that for that grandbaby. Hmm? You ever done that? Be honest, right? That's what love does. For her, she was expressing her gratitude for God. You say, what gratitude? He was her life. She didn't have much else. And it obviously was expressing her trust in God, the fact that she believed him, she had faith in him, she had confidence in him. And so I ask the question, what does your giving express about you and your relationship with God? What does your lack of giving express about you and your relationship with God? Number two, all followers of Jesus are to be givers. And the story of the widow is this poor woman and those who had more. Jesus doesn't tell us necessarily that uh, they were all rich but they were putting out of their surplus they weren't poor they were giving more in real dollars than her but everyone whatever the circumstance in life is to participate in in being generous there are many of us in the church who love to hear about heaven Love to hear about eternal life. Love to hear about forgiveness. Love to hear about peace. Love to hear about joy. But don't want to hear about sacrifice. Don't want to hear about generosity. Don't want to hear about giving. We stand and sing the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. The question is, when we sing those words, do we believe them? All to him I owe. Or is it, he owes me everything. I deserve everything. I'm the master of everything. Do the words we sing match the attitude of our heart and the decisions we make with our mind? There's a third lesson. And it's about what is it exactly? What is it that makes a gift worthy in God's eyes? Not in our own eyes or someone else's eyes, but in God's eyes. And I would say that one thing is why you give. The heart, the motive. What's the reason? What's the purpose? What's the heart? What's the attitude of the heart? The second thing that makes it worthy in the eyes of God is how much we keep. Our level of sacrifice. What made her so significant was not what she gave, but what she had after she gave. 
Another thing that makes giving worthy is how much faith does it take? How much trust in God does it require to give what we give? What, what level of trust and faith does our giving demonstrate? See, now, now listen carefully. Giving is not to be equal in dollars among God's people. You know why? We don't all make the same. We don't all have the same. And so it's not about an equal amount in giving. And let me say something else that may surprise some of you. Giving is not about being equal in percentage either. Now hear that again. Giving is not necessarily about being equal in the percentage of income given because the tithe for New Testament Christians is a starting point. For some of us, the 90% that remains after we give a 10% tithe, the 90% that remains is not much. For a widow, it's not much. For someone on minimum wage, the 90% that remains after giving a tithe, it's not much. For others of us, The 90% that remains after we give is much. And much more especially when compared to those who have so little. And to to say that, well, everybody does the same percent, that misses the point. For some of us, a tithe is no sacrifice. For others, it's a real sacrifice. Jesus held her up, not because she had tithed, but because she had been so sacrificial. It takes more faith for some people to give 10% than it does for others. And neither can circumstances be seen as a reason to be stingy and give nothing. For her circumstances, if any would have, would have merited her doing nothing. Some people, when you surf the web or read books that have been written, criticize this story and criticize Jesus for not stopping her from giving. I mean, how could he let someone in her circumstances give? Not realizing that when you say to those who have little that you can't give anything, you rob them of the joy of participating and being part of what God's doing in this world. You rob them of the joy of expressing worship and devotion to God, even in their tough times. As a family of faith, we don't ask those who have little, those who have less, to give every dollar they have. That would be unethical. And at the same time, we're not going to say to those who have little, you can't give anything, don't participate. And we say that at the same time, we say to those of us who are blessed with more to do more. And to allow what we do to express, as it did for her, our trust, our faith, our gratitude, our love. Here's a fourth lesson for us. 
large donations are needed in ministry. Did Jesus anywhere condemn those who put in more coins than her? No, he condemned the priests and Sadducees and others who were taking advantage of people, but he never condemned her. He said her sacrifice was greater and therefore she's an example. But he condemned those who deliberately took advantage of the widows. He did not condemn, listen, very important, Jesus did not condemn the practice of the temple of having those containers there for people to give. He never said a negative word about it. And churches, ministries need God's people, every believer to participate, to contribute, to give. You you can't do ministry in this physical, material, tangible world without money. You just can't. Everybody knows that. You wouldn't have that chair to sit on. You wouldn't have this building to gather in. You wouldn't have the materials that we make available in Sunday school. You wouldn't have ministry. And so, yes, God honors those who have less that give. What God honors is faith. What God honors is genuineness. What God honors is, is, is commitment. What God honors is sacrifice and large commitments. Large gifts are necessary. And the New Testament is replete with stories of wealthy believers who supported both Jesus and the early church. And they're not criticized for doing so. But here's another lesson. When you and I as believers in Christ give, we give to a divine institution on earth, not a perfect institution in heaven. When we give, we give to a divine institution on the earth, not a perfect one in heaven. Do you notice in this story, think about the backdrop. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus condemn the temple? No, now later in in, in Mark he said that the day is coming when it it will be destroyed. The Romans did that. But he did not condemn the, the temple. In fact... Who instructed the Jews to build a temple? God. What Jesus condemned was the abusive practices of some of the leaders that took advantage of people. He condemned that. He did not condemn the temple. He didn't say don't give. Don't support it. The temple was a divine institution built at the instruction of God. The church is a divine institution. When Jesus said, I will build my church, and every local church is a local, visible, physical, tangible expression of his church. It's a divine institution. Don't wait till your church is perfect to support it. Because if you do, you'll never support it until you're in heaven. Don't support it when you get your way. Support it because it's your church. For this lady, I can imagine. Now, she didn't have much. Life was hard, lonely. And what does she do? She makes her way to the court of women in the temple and she puts in her two coins. To help you understand what that was worth, 
rather than because you know coinage doesn't compare culture to culture, century to century. Think of minimum wage. Okay, what is it? Seven twenty-five an hour, minimum wage. Some of you business guys tell me is that what it is still? Nobody know. It is seven twenty-five an hour. Okay. What she had to live on. was one-fifth of an hour's minimum wage today. Of just one hour of minimum wage today. And that's it. Would you call that poor? But I can just imagine for her that temple was a special place because it Express what was in her heart, this, this communion with her God. Because if she had nothing else, she had him. And she just wanted to love on him. You know, a few years ago, we had a Sunday when we said thank you to Rachel Carter. Y'all remember that? All those decades of serving Jesus and not making much money. And a widow at the time. And when Rachel died, she remembered this church she loved in her will. Now compared to what some others have done, it's not much in terms of dollars. Because she didn't have a whole lot. But it was a significant portion of her estate. And she always talked about, I love my church, I love my church, I love my church. And even in death while in heaven, she served this church more than some who are alive and here today. Do you get the point? And here's the last lesson. Jesus still sees and knows everything. Jesus is sitting in the temple watching people. Do you know Jesus still watches us? He still sees us. And he knew everything. He knew how many coins they were putting in. Those who put in many. And this woman who dropped in two copper coins. Those two small, almost worthless coins. He knew how much she had because he said that's all she had. He knew her circumstances, that she's a widow and she's poor. He knows my circumstances. He knows your circumstances. He knows our heart. He knows the condition of our life. He knows our motives. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing is unseen by His all-searching and all-knowing eyes. And Jesus sitting there watches people go by one after the other and then He sees this elderly, poor, widow and after she makes her simple offering, He calls His disciples, Hey, guys, come here. You see her? More faith. More love, more gratitude, more sacrifice. Gave more than those larger ones. 
And I can imagine our Heavenly Father in heaven. I can, I can imagine Jesus in heaven watching His children. Parents and grandparents sometimes look at our kids and grandkids We watch what they do and occasionally they do something that just makes us proud and we don't say anything, but we just smile with pride, right? I can imagine our Father, I can imagine our Savior in heaven looking, watching, seeing, and sometimes as He observes us, He smiles because He says, my son, my daughter, they get it. They've learned the lesson I taught them. And then there are those other times when he watches and there's no smile on his face because his kids, his disciples are acting selfishly and being stingy and demonstrating no faith and no trust and no love by what they do with their money. 2 Corinthians 8 9, the Bible says that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became, what? Poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When Jesus sees you, does he smile? When he sees how you deal with money, when he sees your generosity, when he sees the way you treat people, does he smile? Does he have a reason to? Does he smile? And maybe say to some other disciples in heaven, maybe some of your loved ones who are already there, come here, did you see that? That's my boy. That's my girl. They get it. Does your giving ever make Jesus smile? Let's stand. Father, you know us and our hearts, our lives, everything about us. And I pray that in your grace, in your kindness, in your love, in your gentleness, and in your mercy, that you move among us so that we might grow and be faithful and make you smile.